Well, it's great to be here this morning, isn't it? Yeah. Wonderful. And to think a couple weeks ago, we had a couple inches of snow. <laughs> so we didn't know what to expect when we come out here, but this is, this is really awesome. And so, uh, you know, I, I always think about this when uh, we come to a, a remote location uh, to have our worship service, that the church is not the building. And, uh, and the church is us, the people who love Jesus and are called by his name. And, uh, and so uh, we are the church, right? And, uh, and so if somebody asks you where your church is, just say, I'm right here. I'm right here. You know? And we're all over the place. And uh, they'll probably look at you very confused. Uh, but uh, that's the truth of the matter is the church is God's people. And so I want to thank Brandon and Becca also for coming down with her family uh, to lead us in, in worship. And, uh, and so I deeply appreciate them uh, making the trip down. And so, thank you. Uh, this morning, I have a, a, an unusual sermon. I say unusual because, I, you know, as you know, in my 27-some years here at uh, Oak Hill, I always go by through a book of the Bible normally, unless it's a holiday or something. Uh, I love um, to go... Uh, through scripture and then exegete that portion of scripture. But today I'm going to bounce around a little bit because I want to talk about something that's kind of near and dear to my heart, and that is uh, fellowship. And I'm talking about true biblical Christian fellowship. And I'm going to differentiate that just from fellowship in general. And so I actually never recall in my uh, younger years uh, hearing anything about um, even that word, fellowship, it was, it's not something I grew up with. I don't know how many of you in your childhood heard that. If you were um, in a Protestant church, you probably heard that, that term before. But uh, I didn't grow up in a Protestant church, and so I, didn't, I never really heard that. Um, you probably had fellowship halls. We had bingo halls. And so <laughs> it wasn't until I was in college and there was a Christian group on campus and I was part of that group, uh, eventually after coming to faith in Christ. And somebody told me, hey, on Friday, there's a guy's fellowship. And I kind of like took some steps back, like, ooh, okay, that sounds weird. Um, but, and, and later on, I heard the word again. I, w I, I joined a small Baptist church in Slippery Rock. And they talked about the fellowship hall. And uh, I kind of looked at the fellowship hall as the dreaded fellowship hall. <laughs> Because I, I really believe that they must have buried some of the old saints down there uh, because it had this smell of deadness um, mixed with mold. And, you know, the, the, the pastor would get up and say, after service today, we're all going to have a great time down in the fellowship hall. <laughs> I was like, go ahead. I forgot something in my car. I'll be right back. And I just peel on it. But... <coughs> After being a Christian for some 44 years now, and after spending much time in the Word of God, and being exposed to true Christian fellowship, I have a deep appreciation now for fellowship. And so, uh, yes, it means more than eating and laughing and interacting together. One of the definitions I kind of stumbled across was this, and I, it's, the author was unknown, so I can't accredit it to anybody. It's not mine, surely. But fellowship is seeking to share what God has made known of himself with others as a mean, means of finding strength, refreshment, 
and instruction for spiritual, and they had growth, but I added, since it's unknown, the person can't be upset with me, transformation. So I'm going to read that again with my word in there. Fellowship is seeking to share what God has made known of himself with others as a means of finding strength, refreshment, and instruction for spiritual transformation. My thesis today is this. True fellowship. True fellowship has some requirements. True fellowship requires us to be sacrificial, intentional, and spirit-led for it to be transformational in the lives of believers. True fellowship requires us to be sacrificial, intentional, and spirit-led for it to be transformative in the lives of believers. And so I would say don't just settle for filler talk, let's call it, you know, sports, the weather, the same old, same old. And so, uh, and don't consider the five minutes you spent talking about sports or weather at a pie social as that was a great time of fellowship, or even today's picnic if you don't really enter in uh, with another person. Uh, it's not a deep uh, uh, time of fellowship. No, it's, it's, these kind of opportunities are great for relationship building, but they're not to be confused with what fellowship is. And so I'm sure over the years you've probably heard, I don't know, a handful of sermons on fellowship. They probably took you to the book of Acts, which is a great book uh, to, to describe the kind of fellowship that existed in the early church, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 45. And just in the beginning it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and all came over every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And so you have that wonderful time of fellowship, and I'm sure if you heard a sermon on it, you heard the Greek word koinonia shared, which means sharing or close association or mutual participation. But I believe that biblical mandate for fellowship goes beyond that. And, and that's, that's all part of it. That's... It existed in the first church, and it's a, that's a beautiful example. But there are many other portions of Scripture, and I'm just going to bounce around a little bit here and, and share five prerequisites, I'll call them, to true Christian fellowship. And the first one is, it, it, I didn't put these in any order except for this first one. This has to be, this is, this is, definitely has to be first. Each must know Jesus as their Savior. In 1 John 1, chapter First uh, John chapter 1, verse 3, the Apostle John writes, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaimed also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see what John is saying there? He's saying, we proclaim the gospel to you, and there was a purpose for that that you might enter into faith, and then we could have fellowship with you. It's impossible to have fellowship with an unbeliever. You can have a friendship, and you should have friendships with unbelievers, with the hope of bringing them to faith in Christ. But the Christian can only have fellowship with another believer. <laughs> and, uh, and so we know this about marriage, right? Because... Uh, this is why Christians marry Christians. Uh, an unequally yoked couple 
can never share at the deep level of intimacy that God designed for them to share. And they can't do that if one of them is apart from Christ. And so the believer will never, the, the believing part of that couple uh, will never be able to share their deepest um, struggles, their deepest uh, wonderful uh, spiritual insights. And that's, and that's sad if you have that in a relationship. And yes, somebody will point out to me, and they have after a sermon, hey, I know this couple, they're not Christians, they were married for 50 years. I want to know what kind of marriage it was, and I want to know at what level of depth did they share uh, of the most important part of our lives, and that is the spiritual part. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says this, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And he uses these two examples. For what, is, what partnership does righteousness have to do with lawlessness? And what fellowship has light with darkness? Those are extreme differences. And so the same is true about any friendship. You could be friendly with a non-Christian, but the, the relationship will not be at all what God intended. And Proverbs 18, 24 just the latter part says, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that means a blood brother. And so the very interesting thing there, so you and I can have a friend that is closer than a blood relative. Isn't that interesting? And how is that possible? Well, it's possible if they're not just a blood brother, but if they were a brother or a sister in Christ. That's how, that's how you can have a friend that is closer than a brother. And so... Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that is closer than a blood relative? Isn't that remarkable? I never imagined that I could have a Christian friendship that, at that deep level, but I did. And so the application that I would suggest to you uh, is if you, are, if you really want to be a good friend, it's essential that you introduce that friend of yours to Jesus Christ, just like the Apostle John did. He said, we shared the gospel that you might come to faith and so that we can have that deeper friendship and that, that sincere fellowship. Secondly, the participants must be willing to sacrifice. The participants must be willing to sacrifice. Jesus called us to a life of sacrifice. He said this in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Being a follower of Christ requires us to die to ourselves and deny ourselves of comfort and convenience. True fellowship requires us to give up something that we love. <laughs> and so, if you have true fellowship, you're going to be inconvenienced in some way. And, uh, and so, how? How will I be inconvenienced? Well, you might have to give us a, a, a sacrifice of time, our precious time, right? This is why uh, I think we struggle somewhat for the guys to get a group together. For the, uh, Dwayne's not here today, uh, but he... He would probably amen this. It's hard to get a group of men together because our precious time. We're so busy. And if it's a nice day and it's after work, 
is, is should I go to a small group or should I do some yard work? <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting. We struggle when we we have this precious time, and it takes a sacrifice then to really fellowship with others. And so, if your favorite sporting events on, or you have something else you could do, it's easy to bow out of those things. And uh, and then there's that fear of. Um, of that inconvenience or that or that embarrassment, if I go to a small group or I go to some area where we are learning about the Lord and we're getting deeper in His Word, will I have to share something about myself? <laughs> Probably. That's a sacrifice. And, and by that sacrifice, you benefit and the people there benefit. So it also requires us to get out of our comfort zone. I'm an introvert married to an extrovert. And so, and there are many of you who suffer from my same disease, right? How many introverts? And so, when they said, you have to stay at home, we got a COVID virus, we're like, oh, I guess we got to stay home. <laughs> you know? Um, but that doesn't lead to fellowship. In fact, I really think this, the whole COVID thing, even, and it's, it's real and we understand that, but it has been used by the enemy, too, to, to attack the church. Uh, we struggle. We struggle when we are not able to come together uh, in that ecclesiastic way. So what will it take for us to move from a friendly church to a church that has true fellowship, where true fellowship takes place? Well, what's gonna, what has to happen is that we have to suffer inconvenience. So you said, you brought us all the way out to the camp to tell us we have to suffer? Um, yes. And, uh, and some of you who set this whole place up probably went through that too. Um, the, the suffering part I'm talking about. But let yourself be inconvenienced, um, and it's going to take you getting out of your lever, level of comfort. And so start today. Start today. Talk to somebody um, maybe you don't even know. Uh, begin to strike a conversation. And I would say over the next couple of weeks, if you take this serious, get together with somebody outside of a church event. Because you can't just keep pointing back to the church. Oh, uh, I fellowship because remember they had that pie social and I went to it. That counts, right? Okay, maybe. But you want to interact with people in, in, in between those events so the true fellowship takes place. The true fellowship will only take place when there is sacrifice involved. Thirdly, we have to have a common purpose. We have to have a common purpose. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, the first two verses in Philippians chapter 2, wonderful uh, portion of scripture. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, there it is, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. God's Word says right there, if we are to have fellowship in the Spirit, we need to be like-minded and have the same source for our love and be united in one spirit and with one purpose. Notice it didn't say that you all need to have the same gifts, you all need to have the same abilities, which we don't. We need various individuals with different gifts and abilities. 
We cannot have fellowship with a group of people who have a completely different mindset. Who do not draw their love from God. And are living in a completely and for a, diff a completely different purpose. And so, I'm in the middle of reading in my quiet times Ecclesiastes. And, uh, which is really written from the perspective of, of there is no eternal perspective. And it's a sad book. And many of you probably worked your way through Ecclesiastes thinking, does this guy really believe God or what? And it's, and it's challenging. And the letter is, the, excuse me, the book is written by uh, Solomon. And uh, he finds, purely from a secular standpoint, he says, that, uh, you know, part, uh, just under the sun, not, not considering heaven, not considering God, life is meaningless, he says. It'd be better not even to be born, he says, in, in those portions uh, of Scripture. So, several portions are quite depressing, but I love how the book points to only one conclusion. There has to be something more than this life. There has to be something more. And that purpose of knowing that one day, someday, we're going to spend eternity with God. That one day, someday, the people that we share Christ with will, set, will spend eternity with God. That is an amazing purpose for us to be here on earth. And so uh, we are living in a world uh, where most people, uh, they get up in the morning, they, you know, they, they go to work, they buy stuff, they fix up the house, they watch TV, eventually they retire, and they die. And then their kids do the same thing. And they get up, go to work, buy stuff, fix their house up, watch TV, mow the lawn, whatever. You know, just life is just seeming meaningless. Unless you have a reason to live, unless you are growing in a relationship with God, unless you are sharing the gospel with others so that they don't enter hell, you do not have a purpose then. And we need to have a purpose. And men and women, we need to surround ourselves with people living for that common purpose. Last week, we had a motley crew uh, show up here at the camp. And... Uh, <laughs> they met on a cold, dingy night, and it looked much different than this. <laughs> they came with one purpose, that they might make the camp usable, usable for our worship service and for the picnic. And they were all believers. They had a common purpose that allowed them to have true fellowship. Fellowship that is beyond eating pie and, sm and smiling at one another. They were working and fellowshipping with one common purpose. And that's amazing. You know, at Oak Hill, uh, we have a vision from the Lord. We really believe that this year, He'll bring a hundred worshipers together. And I see He's already met that this morning. But He's going to bring a hundred worshipers together consistently between our two services. Our longer vision is to get between a, uh, 175 and 200 people, a group, that, a group of people that love Jesus, so that we can get to, get to a point where we can give some of those people away to start a new ministry or another church. We're not about the mega church. We are a believer of, we don't care if the landscape is, is filled and peppered with small churches, because that's our philosophy. 
We want people to know each other. We want them to have this true fellowship, not to be a number. And so we have a common purpose and a goal that, that uh, in addition to that, that wonderful goal of introducing people uh, to Christ, that people might, uh, we might help people come to Christ and know Christ through biblical worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach to the glory of God through the power of the Spirit. So the application is this. Get together with people who share the same God-given purpose. Get together with people who share that same God-given purpose. Jesus said a kingdom divided against itself will fall in Matthew 12, 25. The same is true about fellowship. We must have one purpose. You can't have divided purposes and stand. Fourthly, we need to have an atmosphere of humility. In order for true fellowship to occur, humility has to be present. Um, Philippians chapter 2, those next uh, three verses. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. And so I cannot underscore this enough. Without humility, there can be no true fellowship. Without humility, there can be no true fellowship. You know why? Because humility produces unguarded sharing and vulnerability. That's tough, but it does. When you're humble, you open yourselves up to others. Humility provides a welcoming spirit that others can be vulnerable. Humility gives us patience and understanding with others that are in the group. Humility allows openness for changed behavior. Humility allows learning to take place for healing of, broken, of a broken spirit. Humility also allows God's agenda to be paramount and our own agendas to be set aside. It only takes one person in a group to destroy one prideful person to destroy true fellowship. And that is why, that is why pride has to be done, dealt with quickly. And so think of the level of fellowship you would have within a group of people where everyone is thinking the person next to them is more important than themselves. Isn't that beautiful? How can I help you grow in Christ? What can I do to assist you in your growth? And so the application here is to follow Jesus' example. <laughs> Let's follow Jesus' example of humility. Finally, in order to have true Christian fellowship take place, it has to be spiritually transformative. It has to be. One of the greatest examples of true Christian fellowship occurred between Paul, Silas, Timothy, and the people of Thessalonica. It was, it was beautiful. You know, Paul really struggled. He went through many hardships to get to the people of Thessalonica. And so he was, he was sacrificial. He almost died to get to this group because they shared the same common purpose, and that was to, to let Christ be known. And, and because Paul didn't go there as a um, pious preacher, he went with complete humility. 
spiritual transformation occurred that, that was unheard of in that area. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. I don't have it up here, but I'm going to read it. And I'll put some of the key verses up behind me in a moment. The Apostle Paul writing to those at Thessalonica, they had such a spiritual transformation, and you can hear it in his, in his letter. We know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply in words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know how He lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You see, they went through suffering, but they, but they were transformed. You welcomed the message with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And he, and he says these three things additionally. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? They, they were so transformed that they, they became, those pagans became the example to Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message ran out from you, not only to Macedonia and Achaia, for your faith in God has become known where? Everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. That, men and women, is spiritual transformation. <laughs> and it's remarkable. They became models uh, to those of Macedonia and Achaia. Their faith became known everywhere. And, and what was said about their faith? They turned from idols to the living and true God. Would it, what good would it have been if all that happened was Paul and Silas and Timothy were good friends of theirs? And, and perhaps promoted a religion. All they would do is simply add Jesus to their list of idols. But they didn't. There was a complete transformation that took place and a change of behavior. And so I would say this in a way of application. We need to anticipate our own transformation and then be intentional about the transformation of others. If all our times of a church... Uh, when we get together our warm feelings, then no transformation will take place and our time would have been wasted. But if by the power of the Holy Spirit we engage in true fellowship, fellowship that is foundation, uh, is, is set in our faith in Jesus, a fellowship where we actually die to ourselves and sacrifice our time and our agendas, a fellowship that is based on a common purpose and birthed out of an atmosphere of humility, then we will see true spiritual transformation. And that would be beautiful. You know, I, I put this slide up there because I think the church should be leading the United States to diffuse any racial tensions because we are colorblind and Christ died for everyone. Men and women, 
we will be what God has called us to be when we, we humble ourselves, we die to ourselves, and we, and we seek true fellowship with one another.